everybody. Hello and welcome. This is, what do we do here again? I don't know. Okay. We do episodes of something. We do episodes of something. Let's call this one the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast, episode 137. Plausible. That seems reasonable. <laughs> Maybe the other two people who listen would know. <laughs> so today, yeah, we're both tired. That's just the way it is. Uh, today we're going to talk about um, answering a question that actually I saw this morning uh, that came up uh, from a pretty talented photographer on Kelby One. And his question related to how to choose a lens to purchase and how to define what the maximum aperture of that lens should be. Because goodness knows we have choices. We certainly do now, yep. Um, you know, whether we're using a classic autofocus lens or one of the new mirrorless build lenses, which is really where the question came from. Um, so I thought it was worthwhile talking about. The consideration in this case was, I've got X amount of dollars. If I buy a zoom lens at 300 mil, roughly, it's going to be a maximum aperture of 5.6. Alternatively, I could buy a prime lens, 300 mil, which would have a maximum aperture of f4. But it's a prime, it's not a zoom. And the net cost is kind of pretty close. So I thought it was an interesting question to ask because honestly, I don't find a lot of people ask that question. They're driven either by, I must have biggest aperture, or I have no money and <laughs> I will buy whatever I can get. <laughs> yeah. Both of which are perfectly valid. But if we're going to think about it, I thought we would think about it. So have you ever considered this, Gord? Uh, I have. Um, driven by exactly the same things that you just mentioned. And more recently, by the influx and possible boasting of various companies of, look, we have a 0.9 aperture lens. I mean, you have to have this. And I'm firmly in the camp of the unenamored. Yeah, I, I have to be in that same camp. I, I mean, I, I was around when things like the original F0.8 not deluxe came out. And while in, from an engineering perspective, it's fascinating. I had to ask the question, but what for? Well, that's exactly the question that I came up with. What am I going to do with something like this? You know, what's, what's the point? And I know years ago, <coughs> when we would, we would talk to, to buyers, you know, I could buy a, I want a street lens. I want a 35 mil focal length street lens. And I can buy an F2 35 mil for $560. I'm just pulling a number out of the air. 
but wouldn't the 35 1.4 be better at $2,500? And again, it all has to come down to what for? Mm -hmm. What are you going to get out of it? Because there's a lot of considerations um, that go into choosing a lens based on its maximum aperture. And we already talked about cost. More speed? Whole lot more cost. Whole lot more cost. Yeah, like not like double. Like sometimes five times as much Mm -hmm. for one whole stop. Now, I don't know about you, but I could push the ISO one stop and keep $2,000 in my pocket. Yeah. And I know that with today's sensors... It's going to look damn good. And if I'm really, really, really concerned, I'm pretty sure there's a $90 noise reduction, you know, plug-in. Oh, yeah. That would make that a moot point. Yeah. The other challenge I think that we need to think about from a costing perspective is that if I want a super fast lens, I'm probably only, only going to find it in a prime. Mm-hmm. And so then how many lenses do I need? Uh, probably more than you can carry comfortably at any given point in time. Well, I think that's a concern, right? Because, you know... Well, it's absolutely a concern. I mean, I think, I think about... I think the most ubiquitous lens, zoom lens in the last 10 years... Something in the 70 to 200 equivalent focal length range, Mm -hmm. right? Super popular, available in different apertures. Mm -hmm. You know, either came as a 2.8 or as an F4. But if I needed something faster than that, like a 200 F2, I don't need one. But if I did... Mm -hmm. I just threw the the whole value of the zoom out the window. Yep. Because now I've got to go, oh, I'll have to buy the 200 F2. And I'll have to buy a fast 85 and probably a fast 135. And then i got to cart all that stuff around with me. And I don't have the ability to crop quickly in camera that the zoom brings me. Mm-hmm. Now, someone said to me, so, well, that's a stupid context because <coughs> excuse me if someone buys a 70 to 200 <coughs> they're going to shoot at 200 all the time i don't buy that no uh, no that's no <laughs> i think the value proposition of the zoom is yes it can be a 70 and it can be a 200 and something in between right now one of the things that we know even from that zoom space <laughs> that 70 to 200 28 was physically larger, mm-hmm. heavier, and took up more space right. than the F4 version. Now, if I imagine I'm going to that 200 F2, I'm a whole new game. Yep. In fact, it probably won't fit in a normal camera bag. Oh, it may be the only thing you can fit in the camera bag. Right. Because that front element is going to be so enormous. So I think, is it fair to say that there's a space consideration? Yes. That we need to take into account. 
Now, you've shot some very fast lenses. Well, averagely fast lenses. I wouldn't say very fast. I've got a, I got a 51.8, I think, and that's about as fast as I was. Right. But, but if I had a... Well, you've seen my 500 F4. I have. It's Couldn't see you, but I saw the lens. <laughs> it's long. <laughs> it's optically fast. And do you think that that's easier to handhold than a 500 5.6? Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, it's a monster. It's an absolutely brutal monster. And I would submit at this point in my day, I can't handhold that lens. If anybody is hearing funny noises out here, it's a cat sitting on top of the mic. <laughs> Gordon has a guest. Come here. You're cute. Right, get out of here. See, guys, we do this stuff live. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no editing, no fussing around. Yes, because it's, it is tougher to handhold. Yes. I can't handhold that lens. I'm not sure I can handhold my 400 f4 anymore. You know, I've got a 300 2.8. It's the same deal. It's a beautiful piece of glass, but it's also like winding a tank turret around because of the, the, the size and the weight. Um, now, you and I both like filters, yeah. usable filters. And one of the other challenges that we might want to take into consideration as we go into these super fast lenses is, what filter size do I need? Or can I put a filter on the darn thing at all? Mm -hmm. You know, some of them you will use. In the case of that 500, it uses a drop-in filter. And you've got to make them out of gelatin because it's an old lens. And then again, it says, you've got this issue where you spent good money on filters, and now you need another one. Yeah. And I'm not convinced, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not convinced that just because you chose a faster, optically faster lens, that it negates the need or desire to use a filter of some kind. You know, I probably still want to use a polarizer when I want to use a polarizer. Mm -hmm. But I can't put a polarizer on any of those big lenses. Right. Whereas I could put them on my zooms. Yep. So if I'm understanding you right, then from, so from now, from what you've said so far, uh, considerations that people really have to think of is a how much money are you going to spend? Yep. B having spent the money, are you able to actually um, push and handle the lens if you need to, or how are you going to how are you going to use it? Because it's it's difficult to you can't just walk around with it and in the way and. And uh, you will have additional expenses incurred from trying to find additional filters to match this lens of high optical speed that you're talking about. Well, I, I, I believe that we have good data to suggest that these are all reasonable considerations. To take into account. Yes. 
Um, the other thing, of course, and we've been through this because we both use gimbals. Yes. If you're going to mount a big, heavy lens on the front of a camera, it better have its own tripod mount. Otherwise, you're putting a lot, of, awful lot of strain on that front camera mount. Yeah, I, I would suspect that most of them in that size would come with their own. But it's it's certainly, well, if you don't have a gimbal, well, you know, rack up another three or four hundred dollars. Right. So you, what what I think it's telling us is that while there can be real benefits, this is bigger than a bread box. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other considerations that go into it. The third consideration I think we've sort of talked about is the weight. It's not just about the size of wielding something that's two and a half feet long hanging off the front of your nose, but the sheer weight of something like that. You know, we saw a lot of folks go to those, um, like the 150 to 600s, you know, the Tamrods and the Sigmas. Mm -hmm. Lovely lens. But also saw folks get real tired. Yep really quick um, just because they wanted that reach. And one of the nice things about the lens, it was reasonably quick optically yes, for its focal length. But if we were looking go further, you know, I don't have the money for it, but we know folks who've gone to the 800.56 from Nikon, it's very fast. And you also need an assistant because the darn thing is so heavy. Uh, now, when you shoot, you don't just shoot out the car window. No, I go wandering. You go wandering. Um, so if you're going to take something like that wandering, is there anything else you have to take with you? Sherpa. Sherpa, Okay. <laughs> Given we're not in Tibet or Nepal, we may have trouble finding one. Um, but would you take a tripod or a monopod? Absolutely. Um, I don't see how you can use these without. So not only are you carrying that bigger lens, you're also carrying more gear. Mm-hmm. And if you're going into the field to make images, like be a photographer... You're going to have to carry a lot more kit with you. Mm-hmm. And if you go into the field, that's probably not something you're going to take on a buggy. Um, yeah, the, the airport wheels probably won't work. Right. Now, I do know in some parts of the world, that means there's an ATV involved. <laughs> yes. Okay. Not for me. You know, I don't even have a trailer. It's like a call all an ATV. And a lot of times we're going to go photograph in places where an ATV wouldn't go or couldn't go. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like an enormous amount of work to get one more stop of light. Right. Now, uh, we're, we're assuming that these, uh, these are the really long lenses. Uh, are there any smaller lenses well, sure that there are. come in that... You already touched on it, actually. Um, I forget your phraseology, but it was almost like the, look at us, we've got a 1.4 whatever. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, and, and I know I'd shared a couple of links with you uh, around new lenses coming up for the Olympus mount that were very, very optically fast. Mm -hmm. But again, the question is, and I think this is the final question, which should be the first one. Why all this lens speed all of a sudden? Yes, absolutely. What is the, what is the, what are the driving factors? So if I think back into the past, you know, in film, why did we want faster lenses? We were shooting in crap light. Right. We were shooting on film that definitely got noisier. Yes. As we went to higher ISOs. Right. You know, if you're shooting triax at ASA 400 and you pushed it to 800, it started to look like a speckle cannon. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case anymore. No, I, I, the, the, the scenario has changed. Uh, all, the, all the things that we used to talk about, many of them don't hold true anymore. And, and I think one of the other considerations, even in autofocus, is, well, I need a faster lens because I need to pass more light to the autofocus system so I get better autofocus performance in the light. And 10 years ago, I would have bought that. But I'm seeing entry-level cameras that'll go down to minus two, minus three EV AF mm -hmm. without spending thousands of dollars on the body. Right. And if you can get down to that level of really low light and the autofocus is going to work, what's the gain by spending a couple of extra thousand dollars on a lens that gives you one stop or maybe two stops more light. Now, maybe there is one, but I have to understand what it is because the camera works great in low light now. Mm -hmm. ISO is less of a consideration. I know that regardless of the digital sensor you use, whether it's full frame micro four thirds or a, or a classic crop sensor, that the sensors today do such a good job that I don't think that noise is an issue. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think noise is a subjective thing that people start to believe is a problem when it's not a problem at all. I keep thinking back to a quote from my friend Rick Salmon, whose dad said, if you look at a photograph and you see a lot of noise, it's a lousy photograph. <laughs> yep, There's nothing true. there for you to look at. And again, that's a question that's come up just in this past week. Oh, gee, I don't know. I, I don't like this because there's so much noise. You know, when you zoom in at 500% and go, yeah, you're right. If I put my nose two inches from the screen at 500% life size, I can see some noise. Sure. But real people, real situations are never going to see that. So again, it, it asks that question. If I'm buying a 12 mil lens for an Olympus and I have a choice of an F2, mm -hmm. which is going to be small, literally fit in a shirt pocket, mm -hmm. or a 1.4, I'm sure it's optically brilliant. Yep. If I'm not shooting that thing at 1.4 all the time, why am I buying it? Right. And it's the same question that I would have asked years ago. 
Well, I want an F, a 50 mil F1.2. Are you going to shoot it at F1.2 right. all the time? Well, no. Where you, what aperture can you use? 5.6, F8? Yeah. So why bother? So other than, other than perhaps having, be actually able to see a little brighter, uh, I, I have enough trouble keeping somebody's both eyes in focus at any given point in time without at any f-stop never <laughs> never mind trying to shoot at 1.2 and yeah it'll blur the black background etc but there are ways around that i think there is and so the more i dug into this it appeared the answer to the, why why are you doing this well, I want shallower depth of field. I want more background blur. Okay. How much? How much depth of field is too much? Right. And at what camera to subject distance? And at what lens angle of view or focal length? Mm -hmm. And how do you know what's enough? And I couldn't get a good answer from anybody. No. There's still this illusion that, well, if I spend a lot more money on faster glass, I'm going to get better photographs. I can't see how that happens. No. Do you? No. <clears throat> so what I came up with was a little test. Using our favorite smartphone app for photographers mm -hmm. our friend photo bills great so i use the example that had come up okay what's the angle of view or focal length that you're thinking about using <coughs> and in the example the person was comparing uh, a Canon 300 f4 EF lens versus an RF lens, one of the autofocus, the mirrorless lenses, that's a 100 to 500 zoom with an aperture range of 4.5 to 7.1. Right. Now, first off, 1 to 500 sounds like a lot more flexible. Yeah. Yeah, four five to seven one is slower optically than f four, and we would have to know at the three hundred equivalent what the actual working aperture would be. Well, we found out, and it is five six. Right, as happens in any zoom lens with variable aperture. Sure. So I went looking out to see if you could find a three hundred f four, and I couldn't find one anywhere. Because it's discontinued. No. So okay. that has impact. You can probably get one relatively inexpensively. Okay. But that was only one stop. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're going to think about this, let's do a real world comparison. Right. So I compared a lens I own, the 300 28. Right. Against this RF 100 to 500. Now, to go buy a 300-2.8 today costs you $8,000. Okay. 
to go buy that 100 to 500 today costs you $3,700. Right. So a little less than half. Right. Still sounds like a freaking lot of money to me, but I'm getting older and crankier every day. <laughs> and my maximum aperture at that 300 equivalent would be 2.8. Right. But with no zoom. Or 5.6 with some flexibility. But we're going to lock that lens in at 300 mil. Right. As if it were a 305.6 prime. Right. Okay. But what's the depth of field? Mm-hmm. Well, because I couldn't get an answer to say, what's the camera to subject distance? I picked some random distances. Sure. 10 meters, 20 meters, 50 meters, and 100 meters away. Okay. Those are not unreasonable camera to subject distances right. for something in that for range. For something that range. And using our friend photo pills, I found that for $8,000 at 10 meters, I could get 0.18 meters of depth of field. Very shallow. Mm-hmm. For less than half that, I could get 0.37 meters. Okay. Okay, that's more depth of field. Not quite as shallow, but hardly from the Earth to the moon. Mm-hmm. No, it's still, I mean, 37 meters is about, what, 16 inches? It's not that freaking deep. No. And that's at 10 meters. Mm-hmm. But what if we're photographing something that's 20 meters away? Well, we already know what happens with depth of field is distance increases. Right. On that lens at 2.8, the depth of field jumps to 0.74 meters. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. On the lens at 5.6, the zoom lens, it goes up to a meter and a half. And when we get all the way out to 100, because you don't want to re- read the table, but basically at 2.8, at 100 meters, I get... Nearly 20 meters of depth of field. Right. That's a lot in focus. Right. So you can't say, well, I'm going to get lovely bouquet (laughs) and wonderful background blur. At that that distance, uh, you're not. No, it's negligible. And on on the zoom lens, it's 40 meters. Okay, so what I can conclude from this is that the only time that this shallow depth of field actually comes into play is that when I'm using a longer focal length... At a closer distance. At a really close distance. Right. And so for the shallowest depth of field, we spend twice as much money. Mm-hmm. More than twice. Because it doesn't include all the other right. stuff we got to take with us. We have to carry twice as much gear. Right. We have at least twice the weight. Mm-hmm. We no longer have the agility of a zoom lens. Yep. We've just got the prime, a wonderful prime. But if I wanted something other than 300 mil, I don't have it. Right. And the best reduction in depth of field, wide open, close focus, is half. Right. And you mentioned that the only place where you're going to get that is when you're 
pretty much getting down to the minimum focusing distance of the lens. You've got to be real close. And at that distance, I think you're more concerned about getting your subject in focus, never mind the background out of focus. I have to agree. Because with my lens, with my, with my 300 uh, F4 um, Olympus lens, right. I, I can focus down to, uh, I don't know, about two feet, I think. So really close. But at that point, I have to start stopping the lens down because whatever I'm photographing at that, that it, it's not, uh, it won't be in focus. Uh, I'll have the eyes in focus and nothing else. Right. And as for the background, well, forget it. The background doesn't exist at that level. And I think that that's, that's a good real-world example because at some point you've got too little depth of field. Mm-hmm. <coughs> now, it sounds like a ton of money for very little return. Yep. Now, in fairness, only the creator can determine if that's justifiable based on their use cases. But if it were me... Or my spouse. <laughs> there would have to be a well-paying gig right. in there that said, yes, that justifies all of that distant difference. And by the way, are you actually going to carry it with you? Right. Because how many times have I taken the 70-200-28 to mm-hmm. and a teleconverter instead of the 300-28? Right. Well... The first option is more flexible and it's half the weight. Sure. Not saying anything's wrong with the 300. It's a beautiful lens. But. Yeah. <coughs> it's like having a really high performance car. Yeah, you can get it up to 102 seconds. The front guy in front of you can't. No. You're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. It's like. Well, yeah, it's like. You know, the, the, the weekend Lambo renters. Yeah. Congratulations. You can go really quick from stop sign to stop sign. <laughs> I hope it makes you feel whatever it is you're looking for. The other consideration that we didn't have with film, that I wonder if we forget sometimes, is that this is digital. If I wanted to blur something i've got amazing masking and blur tools built right into every piece of software out there Mm -hmm. and we talked and they're getting simpler and simpler as you go yeah yeah i mean we talked at camera club about the new mask selection in lightroom my god how hard is that select subject great great Mask that out and blur the background. Takes, I don't know, 12, 15 seconds. It's pretty easy. And it sure as hell didn't cost an extra four grand to get it. Yeah. Plus, it's it's flexible, right? You can control the amount of blur. Right. You can control the scope of blur. We've got tools that the folks in the chemical darkroom, just never had. And it's easy to do. 
So again, it makes me wonder what's the use case. What's the rationale behind going through all this trouble? Right. So if you were going out today and you decided you needed a lens um, that provided a certain angle of view, mm-hmm. knowing everything you know, which is considerable, mm. is maximum aperture a big driving point for you? Uh, no, not not really. Um, again, going back to uh, the Olympus example, Olympus has, well, it's got a number of really good lenses out, but uh, the the affordable ones is a 300 f4, which translates into really a 600 f4. Um, but the newer lens that they've come out with is 100 to 400, and I believe it's a 5-something to 6.3. Okay. Which sounds really slow, and uh, some people would... But it's about 8 inches long. And weighs nothing. Uh, you could put it in... Any kind of a backpack, uh, lug it around, put your camera on the backpack as well while you're about it with with an additional couple of lenses, and you wouldn't be anywhere close to the weight of one of the very fast uh, primes, uh, but lens by itself. Right. And uh, so there, there are those who would find a case... Uh, case use for this but this other lens that I'm talking about is getting more and more popular by the minute just because you have the ability to lug it around crawl through the bush and at 800 millimeters you've got even you've got to wait for your light to be good granted but you have the reach that you can't get with others and it's not the fastest lens in the world. No, I think I think this is a great example. I know when uh, Canon released the RF, they released a couple of RF primes, a 600 and an 800. And there was a lot of flashback because they were optically slow. Right. But they were also inexpensive. Right. And relatively small and relatively lightweight. And the, the big question is, well, if you had a bigger, faster lens, what aperture would you be shooting at? Right. Well, for adequate depth of field, I'd probably be shooting at f8. Right. Uh, okay, I'm not getting this now. Right. And also from, from the manufacturer's point of view, who can afford one of these lenses? Uh, they, they would... My way of thinking would be the hardcore photographers, uh, which is not a huge segment of the population. No, and the, and market the is- population that's using cameras of any kind other than what comes out of their cell phones is diminishing by the moment. Well, that's very valid. 
I sometimes wonder if these new super fast lenses are more of an ego thing than a you must have this to make images thing. You know, I've got the fastest lens they make. Oh, good. You shoot it that fast? No, 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 I don't. No, I, I think that's a, that's a valid. Uh, I I frequently think of it as um, maybe <coughs> technology in search of a use. Yeah. Yes, we can. So we have a oh, solution good. in search of a problem. No, the problem you'll get anyway. So. Yeah, but think about it. You know, I've I've shot the micro four thirds. And the images were brilliant. And I think of guys like Scott Bourne who moved from full frame mm-hmm. and all those giant lenses. And he was one of those guys who had the wherewithal to be able to afford all that stuff. Right. And when he moved, he's thrilled. He can still photograph. He can carry stuff. You know, his back isn't going out. Yep. And... The image is not made by the camera or the lens. Right. The image is made by the person behind the camera or the lens. Right. So it's something, I'm not saying that super fast lenses are bad. If you've got the money and it makes you happy, crazy go nuts. Yeah, but but even more than that, if you've got the money and it makes you happy, but you have to have a case scenario... Uh, or a case usage. Otherwise, uh, you know, it's like a good exercise machine. You put a clothes on top of it. But it's a really nice hanger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you can make it go around so the clothes move with it. Well, there you go. See, another value proposition <laughs> for spending money on stuff you don't need. That's about all I got on this, but... It had come up, and I wanted to address it because it's not the first time I've seen the question. Yeah. And I fear, because as you said at the beginning, the manufacturers are really, you know, they got the pedal down on, let me build you a super fast lens. But maybe there is no use case for it for an individual. Right. You know, I admit I've got a, I look over there and there's a, a camera and it's got a 51.2 on it. How many times have I shot it wide open at 1.2? I didn't know. But you know what does know? Lightroom knows. Yep. Show me. Yep. Yeah. Bad investment. Even though I bought the lens used. Right. You know, probably paid half of what its map price was. I haven't shot it at one two enough to warrant anything more than a hundred and seventy dollar fifty f two. Right. Bad on me. But I think that's part of the consideration that all of us can think about. Right. Any f- closing thoughts on this from you, bud? No, I think if. I think we've probably annoyed a few people, but... Uh, well, we are good at that. It is within our skill set. Oh, yes, but uh, I think in a, in a practical way of looking at it, yes, it's, it's, a great le- it's a great lens. It's a wonderful thing to have. If you ne- like nice 
blurred out Christmas lights in the background. That's awesome. But only Christmas comes once a year. And uh, if you can't use it for anything more than that, then you've overextended yourself. Yeah, I think there's better places that we could invest our our money, not just in gear, maybe it's in, you know, going someplace interesting. So you can use the lens? So you can use the other the lens? lens that you have? <laughs> At any rate. Gordon, thanks much. Welcome as usual. Folks, this has been the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I'm Ross. And I'm Gordon. And we will speak to you again very soon.